Hi. I got a tape I want to play. Just what do you think you're doing, Dave? Your move, creep. Take me to the volcano! So why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? Come with me if you want to live. This town needs an enema. Like I said, I need a bacchiatomy. Yes, that's a human ear, all right. I got a bad feeling about this. So it's come to this. And that is to a place that I only want to experience <laughs> through the lens of a movie. Oh, man. It has come <laughs> it's to come, this. It's come to this. Quite the, uh, yeah, quite the intro for the, the address we're about to cross today. Yeah, man. I'm Eric. I'm Charlie. This we is do a, a movie, movie podcast, podcast here. Ooh, jinx. Ooh, perfect. Gotcha. And recently, a favorite actor of ours passed away, and that's always a really good excuse to take a look at some movies that might, you know, bump some movies up the list. Exactly. You know, the the conversations about when one of our favorites, uh, Yafet Koto, the coolest, <laughs> the coolest yeah. side man, the coolest buddy, coolest career, cool villain, cool hero, yeah. all all everything in between. A, a historically important actor, mm-hmm. you know, uh, just from all of his early work doing stuff like westerns, and then showing up in these the youngest Bond villain and the first black Bond villain. Yeah, that's cool. One of the best on-screen duos in movie history with Harry Dean Stanton in <laughs> Alien. I just rewatched that this week and was just like, ah, oh, those guys are these so guys. Good. How cool does he these look guys. in his in, in his? Oh, I love his Such clothes a great in that actor. movie. Yeah, I love his whole demeanor in Alien. This is becoming the Alien cast. Uh-oh. No, we. Uh, <laughs> but he became such a sideman. Seems like a diminutive term, but I don't mean it that way. But well, character a supporting actor. character yeah. in much of the latter part of his career. Where I was really familiar with him from Homicide, Life on the Streets. Right. Uh, that was, for some reason, we didn't watch as much Law and Order. Uh, my my mom didn't. She didn't love Michael Moriarty. Oh no! <laughs> but she uh, she really liked Jerry Orbach. Mm-hmm. But so for a lot oh, of the yeah. run, we were watching more Homicide for our cop show household show. Of we choice. were a Law and Order family. I gotta say. <laughs> My mo- we, we we were an we, Orbach family. We, My mom didn't appreciate the Moriarty. We liked the order. I don't know. Yeah, the law was fine. Uh, no. But Homicide <laughs> like always was unopposed on like Friday nights and had Andre Brower and Yafet Koto. Both of them were so good on mm. it. So that was before I had seen Alien or The Running Man. <laughs> the Running <laughs> or Man. Or even the James Bond, uh, Live and Let Die. The Bond, uh, I love him in Midnight Run. Oh, sure. With De Niro and Groden. I think he, he he's even said himself that was like... His. That's a fun one. Yeah. But he's just Great. one of those guys that just... No one looks like him. No one comes across on camera like him. He's just got this natural ability he's this to... He's great presence. He's like a yeah. six foot three, six four guy. Big guy. So he can really hang, but he doesn't look like a linebacker. You know, it's definitely just a, a different kind of build. Well, he's a guy that can pre- present himself, like I said, hero or villain so easily. And, Very much. Uh, we're about to talk about Across 110th Street. Yeah, I really I really pushed for this one uh, a hero as one role. of the ones we do. A hero role because, yeah, he does get a lot of that acclaim for the villainous stuff. Sure. But, uh, man, he is such a professional. Yeah. In this movie. Right. Uh, this... And, and I mean a, a cop. He's a, a lieutenant, <laughs> lieutenant pope. He's in charge. He's by the numbers. And even then, he's but put he's... in charge for optics. Sure, sure. And that's kind of this cool, uh, kind of a mirroring real-life situation. So this movie was 
it was a well-financed movie, and the executive producer was Anthony Quinn. Yeah, saw that. Kodo's, yeah. Kodo's lead in the movie. Yeah, Anthony Quinn is a guy that I studied in film school growing up. Sure, uh, Zorba the Greek and Zampano, the strong man in uh, La Strada. Yeah, yeah La Strada. Um, yeah, that's man. that was same here. That's I learned about him in college, and he's just one of those classic, you know, Italian comes to America, and he's making four movies a year yeah. for about twenty years. <laughs> it's crazy. You look at his IMDb; it's just one hundred ninety-five. Oh, credits. his his sixties and seventies was packed, and uh, yeah, by this time he's the older guy in the picture. The Kodo old, is the ripe young old guy. age of fifty-five. <laughs> they're already acting like they're gonna shoot him behind the barn. He, what am I supposed to do at fifty-five? Eat shit. He's, like, oh my god. He's 55. He looks 68. <laughs> well, when you see the looks areas terrible. that he has to patrol. <laughs> terrible. Well, that's also just how they looked, right? Yeah. We're, we're watching Mad Men, and it's like, Don Draper is supposed to be like 36. You're like, no fucking way. No way, dude. Well, we talked about that, how all these 70s movies are unparalleled because they can't get guys looking as <laughs> shitty as they do in all of these movies. These guys are all just ugly men and normal men. You know, there's pockmarked faces. We've always yeah. talked about the love for the hairlines. Oh, 70s crime hairlines are incredible. They're the best. They cannot be replicated on modern screens because people, anybody thinks hairstyles are weird today. Man, the hirsute cop look of the 70s it's just like these people were wearing suits and just like bad hairlines long hair where hair shouldn't be long on a professional right. always greasy and slick <laughs> yeah. everyone is so sweaty in this movie oh this movie was filmed summer Awful. in harlem this yeah. famous muggy ass new york summers we've been on a real trend of just the wettest movie <laughs> It's true. It's true. We keep falling into just these hot filmed in the middle of summer in the South, but this is a July 72 Harlem movie. Everybody is drenched at all times, just sweating through their suits. But, you know, maybe that's why I love the 70s movies so much because it is, uh, you know, handheld cameras, natural lighting. Everyone is just looking like they just showed up. And whatever they slept in, it feels so grimy and real in you a way that you just on all these do points. not see today. The hand, you said handheld camera. I can't I believe you, you triggered that. Cinema this movie verite. is the. This was a huge landmark thing in a movie. I mean, I've seen movies from around this time, like Sweet Sweetbacks, badass song. You know, they're filmed on like Super Eight. Sure, <laughs> and and you can Guerrilla practically hear the real rolling in scenes that they couldn't do dubbing. This was the first time this specific model of handheld camera was used. Hmm. I forget the model. I'm not a tech guy. But there was a a handheld camera that had never been used on a movie before. It was used on this one, which is what leads us to these areas of Harlem that we never could have gotten to with a traditional huge hot camera. Mm -hmm. Every room in this movie is so cramped and so hot. Can you picture a hundred... (laughs) <laughs> degree camera know, right? taking up a third of the space of this precinct room with big floodlights to light everything yeah yeah no you don't get that here they were using for the first time ever a 30 pound over the shoulder camera oh cool so we're going up all these narrow hallways of harlem tenements yeah that are burned out going to places we could not have gone it's so clear there's so many shots where it's obvious that the cameraman is just like in the corner like on a stool 
Yeah. It's very much, yeah, but it puts you right These there. These people are in the room. Which is These what. These are not sets. It's, it's that, that's the thing you don't, I don't think you get that kind of accessibility in today's movies. Everything has to be so big or, or exaggerated or slick or, you know, starring The Rock or something. Yeah. And you just, <laughs> you don't get that anymore, you know? You don't get, uh, that's why I, I love a movie with some, some bad hairlines and bad bods. Because that's what you get here. Even Kato is the Kato is the young 32, 33-year-old guy, only a couple years into Detective. He's got a boiler on him. Sure. He's already he got a belly. He might even have a little uh Yeah, he's got kind of a higher forehead. Than, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, every, nobody's like cut out there. They're all spinel types. Mm-hmm. Just these thick, melted wax bodies, you know? It just adds so much to the feel. And I'm already into it before anything else across 110th street by bobby womack is right. one of my all-time favorite songs yeah if you don't know the name of this movie you know the song yeah you have to one of the great songs it's one of the songs of the that runs through on a loop in my head a lot you know it's funny it's one of those songs like that for me too but literally the only lyrics i can ever remember are across but yeah it's kind of this storytelling song so i'm not uh, for some reason i'm not able to like get the hook in the in the verse yeah but then that chorus kicks in boom <laughs> i'm there baby <laughs> the rest of it you're just doing the in the car and then it yeah. hits the chorus and you just build like, the line you yeah, know i'm just like no 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 survive you know it's like i know the one word but yeah, yeah. we were talking about how it how it parallels uh you know the real life the production of this movie is Anthony Quinn produced it. A lot of guys did not want to be in this movie. He did not mm. want to star in the movie. He wanted a Kirk Douglas, Burt Lancaster oh, really? kind of guy to be in the movie, and he could just produce it. Interesting. Nobody wanted a part of it. Nobody wanted to be filming. <laughs> wow. In summer in uh, Harlem, nobody wanted to be not, doing huh? what what could have been viewed as a black exploitation picture. It clearly was not. Black exploitation movies yeah. did not cost ten million dollars. Yeah. I don't I, know why this movie shows up on black exploitation list i gotta assume that's just because there's black people in it <laughs> yeah that's the only thing i it's, mean it's one it's of those things where in harlem in the 70s any that's movie it. yeah any movie that's going to take place in harlem in the 70s is just going to get that label yeah and then yafet kodo goes on to make a lot of black exploitation movies so I, I get that yeah he did his black exploitation movies after right so maybe this, <laughs> this got lumped movie. in but this is very much just like a crime yeah. movie it's french connection exactly it's, you know, it's it's almost like felt Scorsese to me in just the way that it was like mean very streets Scorsese. and like it's following very you around streets. the room totally. kind of thing. Well, so Quinn's finally just steps in, does it himself, and he's great. Yeah. So that's a he is totally great, great choice. One of his best roles. This really was like I haven't seen an Anthony Quinn performance in many years. Like I said, I watched him all the time growing up, and mm-hmm. it's like, man, that brought back oh, all yeah, those nights. You, you know. Going back and he watching was such those a old movies and omnipresent being omnipresent like, wow. actor for such a long stretch, and then yeah, yeah it's not a guy like Jason Robards. Mm. He is in tons of stuff I've seen, but I'm not always currently watching all this Jason Robards stuff. <laughs> Anthony Quinn's the same way, or like watching a Max von Sydow like in a kind of a campy movie, right? And being like, oh, also you can go back and watch him in this also, body of work and all of these Bergman movies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? That's kind of yeah, that's the Quinn factor for me, definitely, and. A lot of the movie, another movie this thing gets compared to all the time to, which I just don't think is accurate, is In the Heat of the Night, which is a movie that I love. But a Poitier movie is very different than this movie. I think In the Heat of the Night is an excellent movie. 
But it seems like people are like, okay, it's filmed in Harlem. All right, so it's a black exploitation movie. Got it. It's got a black cop and a white cop. All right, so it's like in the heat of the night. Mm-hmm. Not really. Right. Racial undertones got to be the same thing as this other thing. Yeah, this movie obviously had racial undertones. Obviously, it had a black and white setting. There's a very distinct scene of a, talk about a crowded, beautiful room, that ornate mafia <laughs> apartment with, oh, the, yeah. with the building of this dawn. They look across Central Park. At the opposite end of Central Park, that's what separates us from them. Obviously, you have a racial element to it. This movie is about more than that. It's about just struggle. Hmm. The struggle of all of these characters. And we get a lot of <laughs> characters. Everybody in this movie is a character. No one's having a good time. No. This no. is struggle. And so for <laughs> critics to write it off as, oh yeah, black cop, white cop, racial tension story. Like, No, this is, this is city under siege, people boiling up. People lashing out in ways that, when they're desperate. Let's talk more about Womack, though, before we get too sure, far. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the movie opens with, we open, with Womack. Yeah, like I said, you know the song, and we both know the song, and it's probably been stuck <laughs> in my head since we saw Jackie Brown in the theater yeah, it's three or four when years Jackie's ago Jackie's racing to make her uh, her flight attendant The, the job. opening credits. Uh, Perfect is, opening. Great. And it, yeah, it's one of those where you go, oh my God, this is the perfect song. Yeah. Best song ever. And what? There's a movie. <laughs> what? There's a totally different version of the song. And the song was apparently written for the movie by Bobby Womack. And J.J. Johnson. And our man J.J. Johnson, mm-hmm. which we'll get into. But then you watch the uh, the movie, and the opening credits is a totally kind of different version of the song. It's a way different song. take than the song that's stuck in my head it's got uh, female backup singers doing the the. Yeah, Womack's not refrain. doing the chorus anymore. It's it's the backup singers. But then it's also like super sped up, and it's got these weird like the the whole movie's got this fast percussion going, big conga, which is cool, big conga vibes, um, big like uh, Bronx Warriors guy <laughs> yeah, on the docks vibe, totally. Uh, but yeah, the drums are super prevalent in the mix for the movie track. Yeah, and like you said, it's in cut time. This it's crazy. Like, well, Womack is whereas in the the version that runs through my head. He is like painfully recounting his past and how he's trying to move forward and get out of this struggle. And it is this like pained performance about like what this man will do. And then he is just rushing through these (laughs) same struggle. He's like, just like he's checking off a list in the fat, like I was born a third brother of five. Like, all right, all right, we're moving moving past it, moving past that. It's like the cue cards on the Bob Dylan music (laughs) video, but they're going a little too fast. Flying that. It was such a different take. It's really like the uh, the Shaft score, which mm. the Shaft score, Isaac Hayes' score, is one of my favorite records, one of my favorite movie scores. It's this gorgeous, sweeping piece. I hate the movie. The movie Shaft is terrible. The movie Shaft is a, ba- <laughs> is a bad movie. And oh, the man. score is so hacked up in within the movie that it is just, how did people get this into the score? It's basically mm. just the waka 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 like a couple of waka repeat riffs and one refrain kind of repeated. But the the album's like fifty minutes. <laughs> you know, it's like how did this get so popular over two minutes of, of use? And but it's not kinda, just fifty minutes of waka wakas. No, no, it's just beautifully <laughs> composed, full suites of songs. Yeah, that uh, and this is just this whole different sweet composed for this movie versus the uh, the full soundtrack there's a whole soundtrack with nine ten bobby womack songs but the movie we get a lot of like you said those charging drums a lot of drums and this great score by this was a cool surprise for me led me down a great rabbit hole yeah jj johnson who was kind of a really important part of my music upbringing because i played trombone 
in high school and then on into college was in jazz combos. This guy was like the trombonist, (laughs) the jazz trombonist that I sought out to learn jazz phrasing. He's a man. He's a man. Well, he played, he's on like, you know, Birth of Cool. Mm-hmm. And Walkin', the, the the Miles Davis albums, and he plays with Sonny Rollins and Dizzy Gillespie and all these guys on important albums. But his own albums were great, too, and his trombone phrasing was, like I said, what I wanted to learn. What got, so, what, sorry, what got you into the trombone? I, I want to hear more about you picking uh, up the, the at trombone. My, at my school I went to, you had to take a uh, music class was not voluntary. Oh, okay. You had to take a music class, and you had to choose an instrument. This would have been in fifth or sixth grade, and so I just chose the trombone. <laughs> there wasn't much thought put into it. It was, you know, I didn't want a woodwind. Uh huh. Didn't want a flute or a. Now, were there know. other trombonists you listened to, and you were like, "This is shit," <laughs> <laughs> and then you were like, "Like other, hold music. on." I didn't know who J.J. Johnson, Johnson was when I was guy. in elementary school. Right. <laughs> I didn't learn jazz phrasing until later, you know. But I got sent to trombone lessons i took piano lessons as a kid i was mm-hmm. i was a white child I <laughs> and, uh, but so yeah so i had learned i had music background my mom was a choir teacher sure and uh so yeah we were but yeah i was kind of pushed towards you get, you get into college a, you're doing jazz yeah i, did, you, I had a music minor johnson character so uh yeah and when i was getting deeper into jazz combos that was the name that was recommended to hmm. me to seek out and learn Cool. More jazz trombone phrasing. So he was the the trombonist I was seeing. I didn't actually know he had a career as like a film TV composer kind of thing. And obviously, you know, jazz composers in in music is a thing. In there've been plenty of music scores. I just didn't know J.J. <laughs> Johnson did one. <laughs> Let alone then go on to a long career of doing a bunch of TV scores. Like the six million dollar man. Well, he Buck does. Rogers. He does have a credit on Shaft too for what you were saying about Shaft. There you go. Same year Just too. Talk, like right or right around Shaft. the same year. Yeah, I think that was like a year before this. This is nineteen seventy two, uh, or maybe it came out in seventy three. I love how IMDb is always like puts the nineteen seventy two next to something, but then it's like released in you know USA. You know. Yeah, we 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 don't care where it was. But first then it's screened. like Finland, March of seventy three. <laughs> is like okay, yeah, good it was know. around the same time as all these movies, and it probably yeah. did get lumped into black exploitation pictures for that reason. Like you said, well, there's black people in it. There's a lot of black people in but it, but this whole movie is characters. Yeah, and it's filled with some of the best uh, short scenes of these characters that I have seen. Somebody will get two lines in this movie, and it will be such a memorable two lines. This movie has such a memorable look and feel and sound to it. I'm going to forever remember the opening money shuffling montage that yeah. happens. Even So we open with a car driving into Harlem, uh, and we see two guys well, that, get out. We get that great... Uh, Fade in sh- the fade in yeah. shot of the the sign across 110th oh, yeah. Street. Oh yeah, the coming, sign comes at coming you. out like in 3D as they pass it, and you get such a great view of just all the garbage Man. and the just the shuttered windows, the peeling paint, the everything just looks like almost a war zone. This movie crazy is man. the closest I want to be <laughs> to 1972 Harlem. Yeah, and it looks intense. The movie is intense, but man, I mean, it just the movie looks is like... great characters, great faces, like and these impossibly real Harlem locations, and that's why I wish they kind of didn't use that rushed Bobby Womack 
song sure. in the beginning. Let it sit a Let bit. Let it sit a bit yeah. because there's this great line. I love the lyrics to that song where he says, Harlem is the capital of every ghetto town. Hmm. And it's right up there on the screen, baby. <laughs> Holy. Uh, Harlem in the 70s is the same vibes I get when I watch The Third Man. And you're just seeing post-war Vienna. <laughs> yeah. Just crumbling buildings on every block. Burned down. This sent me down this buildings. Harlem rabbit hole after watching this movie for the third time. And finding out that every block on every street in this, in this neighborhood had either a burned down building... Or just a totally abandoned, you know, decommissioned building. And people were fleeing to get out of there. It was run by the numbers trade. It was crazy. Yeah. It sounds like it, I would I would die in an instant. I would be eaten alive by 1972 Great, Harlem. Great place to uh, go be, be a cop, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the uh, opening scene, uh, we get a couple of white mafioso guys, including, uh, including a uh, young Burt, <laughs> Burt Young. young. Burt Young, young. yeah. Hairline already going. Already looks even when 45 he doesn't, years old. Even when he doesn't even have lines in a movie yet, it's already yeah. already fading. And they meet up with uh, three black guys in an apartment, and there's just a table full of money. And for about a minute, you just get three or four dudes just <sighs> shuffling money in this way where they're using their two they're fingers. So quick. Uh, like like you're fast tapping on the on the video game controller I love is what they're doing. A good, all right, man. And Once. it's like, how are you? Act, how are you counting money like that? They're just going. Yeah, are you keeping track? Are you and guys they're like, just yeah, this, this one's five hundred and ninety. This one's seven seventy. <laughs> You're like, wow. They really good. get a sense that they have learned to quick up this process. <laughs> this is not their first time counting these stacks. <laughs> <laughs> they were counting stacks. Yeah, for the one guy's got to lick his thumb, point. but Burt Young's just like. They don't even have that like stickum goo like they use in banks now. These guys are just. They got calluses yeah. from counting this money. Human money counting machines. Well, Want to know something I love in the movies? <laughs> I do. I love a shot of a movie opening with a couple guys, one of them with a briefcase, walking up a narrow hallway, <laughs> opening up on a door that's just in some building, and then a room that has a table and like a hat rack. <laughs> and there's, there's just guys in there that you know are just doing no good. Yeah. I love that. Give me that. Give me the outfit with Robert Duvall just walking into a room with Timothy Carey playing poker. Exactly. In like just a setup table in, in some back room at a horse stable. Give me that. <laughs> Give me the back room of the butcher shop. But yeah, the guy walking up the hallway and like you said, this handheld camera. You're in it from the second this movie starts. Oh, yeah. You're going up this building with these people. You are in this cramped room that now has seven actors plus one cameraman. And it feels like, man, we are asshole to elbow exactly in this room right now and we're all counting money super fast yeah you're close up on the money this is a hell of an opening to a movie this yeah. is something like if this were in a michael mann movie you know this is the thing scorsese would find a way oh, to set this up into a tracking it's shot so gangster it's yeah. so gangster <laughs> it's it's great and like it's perfect they're all getting along they're doing their business you know they're they're talking numbers like I love the sopranos business go down and then all of a sudden you get that hard knock on the door and it's Guys punching numbers in yeah Love business. Just like, yeah, the one like older <laughs> guy with glasses brighten everything Everybody, down. And this is a routine. I love the routine of their business life. Mm-hmm. I love that they're doing something very dangerous, but I love the mundanity exactly. of it. <laughs> this is business. This is going out. Yeah, we meet these three black guys. We go through. There's pleasantries. Right. We know they how get much of their cut to get. Exactly. <laughs> the common... <laughs> the conversation, they are already to the point of their relationship. Where they're kind of just getting annoyed by like the normal things. The guy's like, 
Cut's pretty normal this week. And the guy's like, yeah, why wouldn't it be? <laughs> like, right. yeah, we've been doing this. Yeah, this great, is, Barry. This is run the same way. Let me know when it's not <laughs> they're, normal. They're so just like, God, it's Tuesday. Why is he talking? Yeah, they're just like <laughs> sick of their coworkers. Like, they're having an office day. This is what it is. Why wouldn't it be? I love yeah, that. why wouldn't it be? Yeah. And then, yeah, Got like it. you said, that knock comes. Then the knock comes. I love the business, uh-huh. and I love the routine business, and I always love when the business is interrupted. Yeah. I love all of these parts of these scenes. They immediately know to wrap the money up in the tablecloth and like try to hide it. But, uh, yeah, a couple of cops come in, but uh, immediately. <laughs> now, here's the thing. <laughs> guys, what's going to happen is these guys are going to rob the mob, and they're going to try to get away with it. In maybe the sloppiest robbery and getaway scene I've ever seen put to film. It's gorgeous. It is so amateur. But that's perfect. How many so brutal at the same time. We are in a day of these Fast and the Furious movies exactly. where you're like, all right, so what you do, if you hit this <laughs> jump at the right angle, you should be able to catch the bottom rung of that helicopter landing, all right? Yeah. This movie is a guy doing a 17-point turn <laughs> to get out of an alleyway as the getaway guy. This dude is a far way removed from Ryan Gosling and Drive. We get we get these two guys in cop outfits hold up these five dudes in the building. Yeah. The one guy's got a submachine gun trained on yeah. him. Like, he means business. But the other guy who is in charge of, all he's got to do is take the money and put it in the briefcase. This is one job. Money in briefcase. <laughs> and he is he is like a three-year-old splashing in the ocean Have with this money. Have you seen a sloppier money load? What is going on there? <laughs> that guy is just... I, it was infuriating he how long he was just like scooping up money and just like throwing it towards the briefcase (laughs) like put it in the briefcase he might as well have been bending over and just throwing (laughs) it back between his legs exactly just as much money would have gotten into the briefcase it's like 30 seconds of him shoveling money then it cuts to the briefcase six bills made it in like nothing is happening this guy is taking impossibly long to fill his briefcase which just gives all of these close-up shots at everybody's eyeballs oh. watching each other and watching this guy being like, sorry, hold on. <laughs> what you want one second? Just one second. <laughs> I kept waiting. It's almost like he had an ice cube that kept slipping out of his hands and just right. like, what is he doing with his money? And then he's he knocks the briefcase over, which just sets off the domino effect. That sets off the one guy goes for the gun and then submachine guy has to do his thing. Paul Benjamin as oh, man. the man. This is... For a movie we watched, you know, and were inspired to bump up the list because of Kodo and his recent sad passing, sad passing. The man's been living in the Philippines for the last 20 years teaching holistic courses. He made it to 81. He did okay. Yeah. Guy lived the We're saluting him. We're saluting him. Yeah. We watched it for Kodo, and we come away from this movie with a dozen different great performances. But I think this movie is Paul Benjamin's movie. Where do we know him from? Because I definitely know him as an. I mean, that face. He's, he's is in so other. Uh, he's in like Friday Foster, with which is a great Pam Greer movie. He's in Escape from Alcatraz. He's in Do the Right Thing. Do the Right Thing. Sure. Midnight Cowboy. Yeah, the Anderson Tapes, which is a cool uh, heist movie that I really like. Plus, the man's face. He yeah. has one of the great unforgettable faces. You've probably yeah, seen yeah. him in the most nothing one episode of a TV show kind of role. You remember his face. He's 34 in this movie. Oh, my God. He is 34. This is a hard Looks, looks every day. Looks every day. In his character, I mean, this is just an iconic role. This this should have made him a, a star. 
I mean, th- this could have been, yeah, he could have, and in, in, in many ways, is kind of the lead of the movie. I think, yeah, the movie is he his is story, the, really. He is the guy who is at the end of his ropes, an ex-con who doesn't want to take a day job. This is kind of like, he's robbing the mob because this is it. This is his last. Yeah, he has been. It's all or nothing. It, it, com- it came to this. He'd rather, yeah, exactly. For him, it's come to this. But the great thing is, you kind of, I think everybody that watches this story, the movie's kind of constructed in a way that... I think everyone else will see this movie as about somebody different. Because when I say I this movie is about characters, I really got involved in every one of these characters and their positions and their stories. Absolutely. They all get kind of similar uh, time spent on them, too. You get as much time spent with each individual member of this heist as we do with the mafia guy, as we do with the leader of the Harlem contingent, as we do with Cotto and Quinn. Exactly. This is a very economically spread movie. We get a lot of time spent e- kind of equally with all these people. Right. It doesn't really feel like a lead, even though Quinn and Cotto would be the biggest stars. I gotta say, yeah, Cotto is, it seems like so many of his movies are such great ensemble yes. things, that he is such a great piece in he's, an ensemble cast he feels like a lead which <laughs> even though he has the same screen time as other yeah people but even on know? homicide it's just like you know, yeah it's part of this the, great the ensemble cast. Uh, of alien or or yeah just all of those movies that and he's yet in. he obviously has the charisma and i mean that live and let die he might be my favorite bond villain he's so good i gotta give that one oh, another God. look yeah it's so it's such a good bond too especially for 70s bond roger moore's first yeah, Very strange. and I'm not, a, I'm not a big Moore guy, even though I like some of the campier ones more than other people. We haven't done any Bond some, episodes. Some of the campier Roger Moore some ones. Some of, yeah. <laughs> we'll eventually be They're knocking off. They're all pretty campy in the we're Moore We're going to do the man. shittiest Bond first. No, mm. that's not true, because we're not going to do one of the more recent ones. So, hmm. anyway, we'll do, we'll do probably Live and Let Die soon. But he's we, great. We almost did that this time. It was kind of between Across 110th or Live and Let Die. We went with crime i love that 70s crime man i mean what? we we've done it before and yeah. you know it's like some of my favorites are like the seven ups and stuff it's just my favorite to look at the on grittiness film. you just don't get it anymore and it's just such a cool cool thing and again you don't get it more in than in any other movie this movie is so in it with yeah. this handheld vibe all the cramped hallways and filming inside actual burned out abandoned buildings on top of buildings Oh, these, the rooftop shots in this movie oh, are yeah. great. Great rooftop Down fire escapes, all these tight rooms. That shot of Anthony Quinn kind of frustratedly glad-handing his way through the cramped precinct. Yes. Just being Ooh. like, let this guy go. Oh, I know this guy. I, I can him. vouch for this punk. What like, great hey, scene. put your tits away. <laughs> He's got this rapport <laughs> with every different person. He knows everybody. It reminds me of that. Uh, yeah. I heard uh, Norm MacDonald tell a story where he, he performed on a few of those Bill Clinton uh, you know, the big presidential gala okay. kind of things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and afterwards, the performers, you know, you'll be in the same room kind of backstage with Clinton. Mm. He said Clinton was really charismatic and really great about going to each person and kind of spending a, a few seconds with them and giving them a few words that were unique to each person. Yeah. Not just saying, thanks for coming, thanks sure. for coming, thanks for coming. And he got to Norm MacDonald, mm-hmm. and he shakes hand, and Norm MacDonald was just at the, like, you know, snack area and bill clinton just shakes his hand and goes i see you have a pickle <laughs> and just keeps walking and Norm, like a beat later he's just like 
what? <laughs> like all this thing. And that's Anthony Quinn just going through this precinct, letting people go. Like this guy can talk. I trust this guy. Take this right. guy room two. Right. He, he he points to the one guy. He's like, uh, yeah, this guy wouldn't. This this guy's harmless. He can go. Uh, this guy uh, we've tussled before. <laughs> he knows him. Yeah. But he's yeah. kind of showing Kodo around the precinct because Kodo gets put on this case because of the optics. Yeah. I keep I keep interrupting myself with that story. Quinn wanted Sidney Poitier oh. to be in the Kodo role. Ah, and the communities that he here. started filming in all said, no, like, Poitier was too Hollywood. Sure. That's too Hollywood, too obvious. Point, That's yeah. not... Uh, and so Kodo is a guy New York born. Right. You know, this guy fits. And so that is what kind of got him his break. He That's was a cool. big uh, regional celebrity after the release of Bone. That was a big, you know, that was a very cult regional popular film in the right community, and that made him a big hot name. Nice. And so, yeah, Poitier wouldn't have felt right, and that's probably another reason he gets the, well, in the Heat of the Night comparison. Yeah, also, in my memory, it's been a long time since I've seen the Heat of the Night, but he's, is he a, supposed to be a young upstart? Young upstart. Like, like Kato is in this Similar one? to Kato, and, uh, you know, but the southern city setting is very different. Yeah, yeah. He's the fish out of water there. In this one, Kodo's brought in, so it looks like exactly. there's a guy on their side. Yeah, the the, the yeah the the uh, the five gangsters are killed. They finally get two the cash. Italians, three from the Harlem yes. gang. Uh, they they the guys finally get the cash. They try to make their escape in the rust bucket. They have to dude. They they have to. Uh, we haven't <laughs> talked about who the getaway driver is. The getaway driver is Antonio Fargus, Huggy Bear. Okay, I knew he was familiar too. I was like, it's not Sammy Davis Jr., but they had the same underbite, had the same kind of skinny, yeah, yeah. like look. And, uh, I don't know why I've never thought of him like Sammy Davis Jr. It's very, very similar. But yeah, but yeah, Fargus is he's, he's the he's the real sweaty one. Sweat. He is drenched. He's looking out the window like, rrr, rrr, rrr. and uh, yeah, this is a this is a heist. This is what I love from every moment of this heist is. The lack of precision. Oh. You know, it's cool watching the Dark Knight and seeing the cool opening heist, and everybody knows exactly where right. they're going to be. The clockwork that goes into. But stuff in this like one, that. Paul Benjamin uh, ends up shooting five guys and then two cops. The original plan was to shoot no guys and not <laughs> alert the cops. So already seven deads Didn't- in. Yeah, no, yeah, Ooh, this thing goes tits up. This is bad. pretty quick. This is a rough one, and. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so uh, so f- seven more deaths than we planned on. Uh, Ed Bernard, the the other, you know, the cop who couldn't load a suitcase, he already blew the suitcase load. It's like you think you would practice that maybe once. Maybe, before... yeah, just throw like a couple of newspapers in and just <laughs> get the weight, get the feel for it. Something. You know, kind of do a dry run. you got to assume Indiana Jones practiced with like a bag of sand at home. Exactly. Well, he didn't just like... I think it's not like he went. It's the not sand like didn't work. If it's you not remember. like Bart Simpson doing the like. I just assumed I could read lips. Exactly. <laughs> I'd like to think if I was ripping off the mob, I'd be like, all right, we should do a dry run. Right. But this, these are desperate times. So maybe the guy's like, oh, I didn't think I would fuck up the suitcase loading. I thought that was in the bag. I thought I would have that. I kind of assumed it'd already be in the suitcase. Yeah. Uh, I didn't plan on them counting it outside. Uh, yeah. And then that guy's it was falling awkward. down I'm the sorry. stairs. Yeah. In the hallway, just like, oh boy, this is a, this is oh. a bad escape. Yeah, and he then wasn't yeah, ready. Huggy Bear turns down a side street 
right to like a street sweeper and then does the long that was like the Truman show out there where he's trying to escape the island and like one street sweeper comes then like a milk truck's coming from the other side hot he's dog like, cart guy way. comes behind yeah. him like oh. another cop comes up yeah it's like get the fuck out of there how about the balls on the one cop just running headlong towards a driving car He's just like shooting and running straight. It's like post up, man. Yeah. Get a good vantage by his eyes. Just for running backup. at it. Yeah. Oh. It was one. Of, yeah. It was like, was this pre, this must have been pre Dirty Harry, but man, it felt like every cop was like, yeah, I love that Dirty Harry. <laughs> yeah. Get me some. <laughs> well, this guy turns into so many cars. He couldn't have hit more cars on that turnaround if he was trying to specifically hit cars Awful. while turning around. Just the worst. This sloppy. guy. Sloppy. They also, if if you're not going to do a dry run, you should consider who's best suited for what role. This was the best driver of the three. They had to have talked about it. Paul Paul Benjamin's got the gun, so he's like, I'm going to handle that. Yeah. And Or did was it just like, no, nah, the suits don't fit. The cop suits we got don't fit Huggy Bear. Maybe. But Maybe. all those Too little loose. touches that Too we loose. lead to. I love the one but, member but, of the gang working at the cleaners. That's how yeah. we had access to cops dropping off their suits. The movie has details like that in every scene. And all these characters get to... These stories were very deep mm-hmm. for the time presented. These were humans. And you never has human error been more on display than during this escape. Yeah. Well, the yeah, the, the Harlem and the... The uh, Italian mob then have our conference oh, yeah. to find out what happened. That uh, conference is great. And yeah, then it's basically the mob is going after these three guys that robbed them. And then Cotto and, and Anthony Quinn as the two cops paired up have to try to solve the case. Yeah, it's a race between if the mob finds the three guys that took the money or the cops find the guys yeah. that took the money. So you have- We get introduced gradually to the three men that took the money. Right. The Paul Williams, but like you said- this movie really became Paul Benjamin's story to mm. me. Jim Harris. Just some really touching, wrenching scenes where you learn that this guy is not... Nobody in this movie, uh, other than DeSalvio, is a genuinely bad guy. Mm-hmm. The movie does not paint cheesy shades of gray, but it shows why people have made the choices they've made that we're now seeing the consequences of. And... Paul Benjamin gives very impassioned reasons. He has this, I don't know her name, uh, should have looked it up ahead of time, but the woman who plays Gloria, his uh, his main squeeze. That scene where she is obviously upset that he has all of this mob money, and she knows it's mob money, and he is an ex-con already. But you see the job he has. You see he's a janitor in one of the bad buildings that somehow still has people with an absentee owner. Mm-hmm. Can't actually fix anything because they don't have money to fix anything. So he knows he is a 42-year-old ex-con, no schooling, no trade. He's got epilepsy. You know, yeah. <laughs> like this guy is... He, in He's this, trying to survive. I this mean, painful like the song. monologue he does where he talks about how men are hitting on her in bars all night and how desperate does he need to get, how far away for being so desperate that he urges her to, you know... Take one of them on. Right, right. And that goes back to one of those Womack lyrics that we rushed past, where a pimp's trying to find a woman who's weak. You know, we see that. We see her getting picked up in bars. And to know that they've talked about this before as a couple, mm-hmm. you know, to know that he is that close, that they're that desperate. Like, you really get this multi-sided angle of who he is and why he is and why he was desperate enough to do something so stupid as to rob both 
the upstate New York mafia and the Harlem mafia. Yeah. All at once. Just get in everybody's bad side everywhere you've existed your whole life. Everybody now looking for And then you. he doesn't immediately... The, the only thing is... That, yeah, the only problem is that these three guys then don't immediately leave the state. Yeah. Like, you would think $300,000 in the 70s, I like, go to California. Get the fuck mm-hmm. out of there. And that's pro- that's like $2 million now. And you got the... Uh, yeah, the, the, the driver ends up being the guy that then flaunts the money... Oh, and uh, the, the guy. dresses up in the multicolored coat and oh. goes out on the town like he's a pimp. Oh, that scene! That guy. I am that scene. I am an Antonio. Antonio Fargus is one of these brilliant physical actors. Mm. One of the funniest scenes is watching him walk in "I'm Gonna Get You, Sucker," wearing his dead fish tank shoes. <laughs> When one of the tanks breaks and he's having to do this exaggerated <laughs> limp with his big like pimp shoes that he hasn't busted out in decades <laughs> this this gifted he has yeah. a funny face he knows how to make funny ang- you know he is a gifted physical comedian who has ended up in very cool villain roles and just really cool really entertaining actor just a great career but man his role as jackson <laughs> oh that scene of him getting into his friday night just got paid outfit yeah no words in that scene he didn't have any words in that scene. He's just wandering around his apartment, cracks a beer, uh, lights up a J that he had rolled up. You know, he's just vibing. Oh, he's, just, he's, he's like, rich, baby. He's picking out his red fedora, yeah. and then he's like, um, what should go with my red? Maybe this yellow satin scarf around my neck? And then we don't even see the jacket's like out of frame. He pulls that in. It's like the Technicolor dream coat. It's amazing. It's this like patchwork lavender violet black red only in the 70s man man beautiful and he just starts packing wads of money into every pocket of this multi-pocketed coat not a not a word uttered in this scene doesn't seem to occur to him to not do that to not go out (laughs) oh wow i mean and even like he like calls the one accomplice who's at the cleaners and the and he's like oh boy this guy's clearly about to blow it yeah. <laughs> are you stoned right now? So he calls, yeah, uh, Harris, and yeah, they're all just like, wow, what are you going to do, man? Yeah. It's his cut of the money. We're in it now. Yeah. It's no his hundred grand. This guy is so game to just get rid of that hundred gram and Huggy Bear going down to the, the bordello. Yeah. Basically, to just blow his wad with hookers and like champagne the night of. Gin and champagne, Gin. I think. Oh, yeah. God. We get a lot of cool. Got a little gin product placement. Got, got, I love Doc Johnson always drinking his iced gin in all the scenes. But yeah, man, you talk about characters. This is one of my favorite Antonio Fargas roles I've ever, ever seen. And That's this awesome. guy is in, he dominated these kind of roles throughout the 70s. I mean, you look at Sam Jackson in Goodfellas, it's every bit <laughs> Huggy Bear in this movie from a different era, you know, that Lufthansa botch. But Doc Johnson, when we get the, oh, yeah. the meeting between... The, I totally the, forgot Sam Jackson new, was in Goodfellas. He's, a, he's got a great part in Goodfellas. <laughs> I was like, ah, I think Eric's getting this one wrong. No, 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 I'm incorrect. He's the guy just blowing through all the money and then missing the, missing yeah. the pickup time. Yeah, yeah. That's Huggy Bear, basically, totally. this, this role. Oh, Jackson. But, <laughs> but when we get introduced to DeSalvio 
And so DeSalvio is our Italian mafioso. We've seen him in, uh, he's the guy in Tenebrae. He's hmm. like the main guy in uh, Tenebrae a decade later. I so noticed got, that that actor. He, Giallo experience. Yeah, he did get the kind of like and starring as. Oh, uh, that's all got written into their scripts. Yeah. This guy, he he was uh, uh, he was in big dramas in the late 50s and 60s. So he also had, he has Oscar nomination under his belt, you know. So they have it written into their contracts to get their names a certain font, you know, the and starring kind of thing above it. All that's written into contracts. That's never an accident. So oh, yeah, no, he was, yeah, absolutely. He was kind of a bigger name going in there, and it's one of those roles where like you wish Quentin Tarantino didn't see as many of, because this is the our, our guy in the movie who is going to be our source of every slur. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, <laughs> every yeah. slur in the book is what DeSalvio is going to be doing. I mean, and yeah. he handled this role. I know nothing about this actor really, but he handled it super convincingly. The venom. In his voice, every time he said a slur, he was very careful. And I don't know if this was in the script or how the actor leaned into it. Well, he was he a was, New York City-born guy. Yeah, Anthony Franciosa. Fran- Franciosa, yeah. Franciosa, and yeah. Uh, he did not casually drop these slurs. These were all very calculated. They were plentiful, but they were never just something where he was casually dropping them like he just views them this way. He knew he was overstepping. He knew yes. how to specifically use that. He was getting a thrill of being able to say something to people that couldn't do anything. He wasn't just casually dropping it. He was pointedly dropping it. Mm-hmm. A lot. Frequently. A few times. Throughout the movie. Yeah, it happens. From yeah. beginning to end, he yeah. was doing this. Warning on that. Yeah, you're going to hear some hard ends. Yeah, and <laughs> but Richard, Richard Ward, an actor who I typically think of as Steve Martin's dad in The Jerk. Maven's dad, but Richard Ward, as he puts it, Doc Motherfucking Johnson, or as he would say, it, Doc Motherfucking. Oh, what a Johnson. gravelly, beaut- what a Whoa. voice! Whoa, he, man has a shape and a face and a voice for this kind of role. <laughs> for radio, yeah. He was an old vaudeville guy. I believe that. You know, way back in the day, and so uh, a well-respected actor. These are guys who are like born in the twenties. Like, yes. we're, we're, like this movie is old enough that we're seeing guys born pre another... Great Depression. It's crazy. We talk about the hair and the hair lines and that kind of stuff during this era. It was also the era where you're getting a lot of fifty-five-year-old mean average cast members. Yeah, <laughs> you know, older guys in these movies with bad bods and you know <laughs> baggy eyes and just looks. Guys with looks, but Doc Johnson, man, what a character! Yeah, he's kind of the head of the Harlem yeah. crew. Exactly, that has and, to, and he he gives uh, he gives back enough to DeSalvio. Oh, he, he is. No- he gets him riled up. Too. I love. They, they the have way a great love hate. <laughs> Paul Benjamin, that, no exaggeration. I think Paul Benjamin and Richard Ward gave uh, award worthy performances here. I, I thought both of these should have been supporting hmm. actor nominees, and that's not unprecedented. You know, we we've always talked about doing a street uh, street smart episode, mm. with more, which was a famously yeah, yeah, yeah. badly reviewed movie with this incredible Morgan Freeman performance that put him on the map. And who's the woman in that too? Oh, um, I forget. She's great. <laughs> it's Christopher Reeve, but and it's Morgan Christopher Freeman. Reeve being not very good in it. And right? Then, yeah, everyone else is great in this incredible but Morgan intense. Freeman role. Yeah. But Paul Paul Benjamin and Richard Ward. They are, you know, Richard Ward's in this for maybe three scenes. 
amazing scenes. Yeah. The, the way he shows he is not a doormat while letting Whitey say all the ends he wants is not a man losing his dignity. He is recognizing when his time is to take over fully. Yeah. He knows when to take his shots. He'll let these guys make a mistake, and he'll just sit there and smile and drink his uh, gin on rocks. There was this very cool like uh, juxtaposition of the cops' racial tension mm-hmm. being forefront and center. Kodo and Quinn having these conversations like, when are you going to think of me as a cop instead of a black guy and vice versa? And then the gangsters all had that same tension, but it was unspoken or it was (laughs) insults. Yeah. But like they were smoking at either extreme. But they worked together, the the Harlem gangsters and these uh, Italian gangsters worked together to track these guys down. But there's a part where they've got the second guy up on the roof on a construction site. I kept waiting for the Harlem guys to. Double cross. Right. Those three Italian guys. You're waiting for the double cross the whole time. Because they're basically torturing a black guy, and and then it's close up on the face of these Harlem gangsters who are just kind of having to watch this happen. There's a lot of great, well-done, unspoken scenes like this where this in-close camera is so important. Because you get any time... That's why I don't think as uncomfortable as a lot of the racial language is from DeSalvio's character, it's never casual. They always make a point out of showing that there are people around who are not cool with this, right. you know, and it's never done in, you know, it's never coming to fists because of this, you just see the people that they know that they don't get to shove it in this guy's face yet. Or it's, they don't get it's, to do it yet. It's the look of like, I'm going to log that one for later. Uh-huh. Oh, a lot and of logging, when, when, especially, when, especially when, Chevy. When it comes time to pay, I'm yeah. going to, this will be on the bill. This is going in the, this is going <laughs> in the drafts. We're remembering this one. But yeah, there's all these just looks of them. It's all it's like that like Vader looking at the Emperor electrocuting Luke Skywalker, <laughs> just like, do it, get him. <laughs> but yeah, Doc Johnson in that yeah. he just has this grin where he knows exactly the amount of shit he has to take. And he knows when there is when he that great uh when DeSalvio uh is leaving after dropping a couple more epithets and knowing that there's nobody around who can or will stop him knowing he has he's kind of wielding that terrifying power but also he's, he should get out of there pretty soon but also knowing that like uh was Don't that stick around too was long. that guy standing a little farther back yeah. the last time i saw him is this yeah. guy getting a little his, closer right now well the, yeah he's insulting doc johnson maybe this is what you're going to say but yeah. his, you can see his two bodyguards are like oobly he is really laying yeah, there's it some on guys right now. Are so, guys we're, been... we're in their office, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, they like back out of the office. Some like, guys that were standing still are you. suddenly standing a little more rigid. Yeah, you know, they're like, oh, all right, okay. looks like we're going to be having to spring into he's action a little the, bit. Uh, he's dropping the good that stuff. That was here. the third or fourth, and I heard these guys are getting pissed. And then yeah. that great scene of Doc Johnson coming. At, he runs like a cab company. Yeah, around Harlem, and I like that focus on you know the actual business. This is a guy operating his numbers business out of his business business. Yeah, he is his, a member of his the community. His office is in the garage. Yeah, he is a member of the community. I like and that. he is uh he is our embodiment of the black power of taking back your community, of that moment where people got into crime because they said, Why are people from Manhattan you know, the other side of the park controlling right. our neighborhood? Why right. is that happening? Why are we not doing this? Why aren't we, you know, at least we'd be doing it with our people, not, why are we doing this for these guys? And this is the beginnings of that 
takeover and that great gradual return. And Doc Johnson's our embodiment of that. And so when he comes out of his office and does just about the harshest takedown of a man you can in two to three sentences, where he is laughing at recognizing that all this Italian guy had with him is slurs. Yeah, yeah. That's all he had. He had words. And DeSalvio is laughing at him, saying, what are you, 40, 45? Where are you going? What are you doing? Yeah, he basically- Like, look where yeah. you rank. Look where I rank. Well, it's got, yeah, he, he lets him insult him in the office, but then, yeah, as they're getting to the car and they're surrounded by black guys now, yeah. he lets him know he's a punk bitch. Yeah. And he's, <laughs> he's still the errand boy that he was 20 years ago kind of a thing. Yeah. And yeah, you could see DeSalvio you married just almost in. lose, lose you know, it there. Yeah. You would be an errand boy if you didn't marry in. That's the only reason you're here it's right great. now. I shouldn't be talking to you. It's great. You I, uh, get married into this. It's I, such a great scene. I took notes. I didn't bring them, but I, the one note that I remember <laughs> every, taking. Every time you say, I, know, I, I took didn't. notes, didn't bring them. But the one note I wrote was just, Every scene is great. Every scene involves violence or yelling. Like everything <laughs> is just guys just blown up at each other or just beating the shit out of each other. Yeah. And a lot of blood, a lot it. of violence. A lot it's of, a very a lot violent of deep movie. red squibs in this one. Yeah. People get torn up. The mob, man, they don't fuck no. around. These people, yeah, this is a movie. We start with that heist and from then on it's people that are not taking, you know, they are getting <laughs> this back as quick as possible with the extreme measures. Yeah. And in public, it, you know, they, they go after uh, uh, the, the getaway driver in the middle of the bar, just beating the hell out of him in front of 50 witnesses. That's a scary scene, but that's another. Yeah. You see how easily Doc Johnson popped to Salvio's balloon. Like, but this guy knows his limits. He might have gotten stepped on right at the end of that interaction. He walks into this bordello. Where I didn't even realize a saloon like that existed. It's like oh Deadwood. God. It's amazing. Right in the middle of. It's got all the gin and champagne. All the gin and champagne a man could want. And yeah, that's when Fargus has three hookers. This is such a beautiful Ladies of the Night. I I love instances in a movie like this of a dumb man's version of going all out. Right. So it's just the idea of like, I got I could do three hookers. It's just this crazy, like, this is his, like, this is happening. It, yeah, it's finding $20 and uh, just, yeah, blowing it all on peanuts. <laughs> yeah, just the weirdest thing. It's just yeah. like, finally, I can afford to go out and just blow all the gin and champagne I want. We're and, having a hell of a night. Yeah, I wouldn't know what to do with a third, maybe even a second prostitute. I wouldn't think, just, but it's this dumb guy's idea of just like, you know, I have all this extra money. I've never had a second or... It's great. The right. guy, for a good 45 minutes, he is living his best life. <laughs> Until he's living it's his worth worst possible life. But he is just like the king of this place. He's coming out wearing the sheets as a toga. <laughs> you know, he's lifting up women and putting them on the bar. Fargus shines through uh -huh. this whole scene of a guy who's... The worst thing that's ever happened to him is about to happen in well, five and then minutes. It, it's also kind of so it's so funny that it's, you bring up like the old saloon style because as soon as the Italian mobsters come in, it's like the piano player stops, <laughs> everything goes dead silent, and yeah. and uh, yeah, they just hash it out with him, and he's still kind of like, hey, yeah, hey, uh, oh, he have, trying trying to have his good time, seemingly unaware that the mob has come to collect. Man, I was pretty impressed by all three heist guys. And the way they held up to 
these guys kind of, you get yeah. the sense through those that's why i read a couple of these whiny reviews from when the movie came out i looked up siskel i looked up you know the new york times just see what the people are talking about. such a either they were writing the movie as off as being derivative or they were just shitting all over all the things that showed that it was not derivative mm. you know and just talked it all focused on the violence and how violent it was it was there's some startling stuff here. Not just uh, actions, but words. Mm-hmm. But in all these reviews, they talk about how the violence overshadowed any stories. Or It's like, I got full stories on all of these men. The Not necessarily confidence, but you see Fargus mouthing back to the mafia. This guy knows he is sunk. So you have to know how desperate he was to even be here. Mm-hmm. This guy knew he was already getting close to either going back to doing time. He knew things were just up. And the confidence that gives them to kind of go out with a little bit of dignity each time the mob catches up to each one of these guys. These conversations between them all feel very real. Yeah, yeah. And these people are past the point of... Uh, playing by normal societal rules because normal society had forgotten and given up on them it's yeah it's definitely like nothing to lose yeah kind of kind of vibes but i would uh, i would fold like a like a sheet (laughs) under any kind of this is why i I could not be pushed so i would i would would not rob the mob yeah that would i've never robbed the mob so far (laughs) and i've not thought for all all you mobster listeners out there yeah we can assure you if you've been all uh, good here on our trail but (laughs) I love how we get introduced to that. And by using their words and hearing their conversations, we get a sense of what has come before. That's why it's so yeah. much deeper than any of these critics of the time were really giving it credit for. And even still, every skim through I did, there was a lot of just, oh, the violence is really cool. You don't really know too much about these people. It's like, I know all about these people. Yeah, that's just not correct. It does not make sense to me at all. Yeah. I think this is a rich, deep <laughs> character piece. And uh, just of its era and it's so powerful the whole way i mean it's it's one of those where you never see like anthony quinn or kodo like go back to a family or anything you just see them on the job as as detectives cops very true um but you also get everything you need to know about them we kind yeah we kind of learned the least of quinn yeah they're kind of the least explored (laughs) of all the characters right but there's a another great scene with uh, doc johnson where where he reveals to Kodo uh, that Quinn is on the take. Oh, that's good. Yeah. What a great scene. And Quinn, A, Anthony Quinn is an animal in this movie. Yeah. He is out of control. And this might have been his best scene, too. And uh, Yafa Kodo is his most restrained I've ever seen him. There's a few few scenes where he shouts back. Yeah. But even then... It's very it's 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 like he shouts back at Quinn like go back to 1940 if you want to do things this way like we're doing things the right way now. Kodo's role was so difficult because it was a movie with nothing but characters. As we said, all these people are every one of them. Nobody is the same, but they are all standing out in these incredible ways. Yeah. But Kodo, and this is good because it is very true to his character in the movie. He has to play it much quieter than everyone else because in within his character, he would have been also the black guy not wanting to make a fuss among the white cops. 
he has to become because these people are looking for any excuse right. to label him just another savage, just another any he's, slur they right. can. He's the guy. Yeah, he's the guy who wants to climb the ranks at a time when someone like him, it's very difficult. Yeah. He, and so he he's resents got the to fact be, that he's got to be a plus all the time. Yeah, he resents the fact that he knows he is on this specific case because of the optics. Sure, he did not want to earn it from the optics, and he hates that it gives people a thing they can point out. He hates that being promoted to this spot so quickly has given every other 55-year-old white cop a thing to point at, a thing that he got didn't deserve where he got, unlike us. Sure. We got here by our own merits. Look at you. And so his performance has to imbue all of that, but in not a very flashy way. He's the most restrained. He's the quietest. He's the most composed. Right. But he's also got to convince Anthony Quinn to stop beating the shit out of Anthony a suspect. Anthony Quinn goes guns blazing at a lot of you know, people. He's, he's got he's to gotta be the guy that's rallying the troops who are old white guys who know that they're on their way out. Yeah. Uh, and he's got to be firm, but yeah, disciplined. And more than anything, he's got to get it right yes. while keeping true to his <laughs> values. You know, he gets offered cash from Doc Johnson mm-hmm. and he doesn't take it. But he also knows he's now put himself on a list if he doesn't take that money, you he, know. But he also knows can he trust Anthony Quinn now because he knows <laughs> Quinn takes money and he take. doesn't. And and as everybody has, and in he's got to do all that through the filter of being the best cop, the on best the force. cop possible, always on his game. Yeah, the way Quinn explains away is so a thing. You get the sense that he's had to say this a lot to himself to convince himself that he's right. not doing a bad thing. He takes twenty five hundred a month from Doc Johnson. He's been doing it for a few years. And he that's says, a lot of money. That's a in lot. Nineteen seventy two. Thirty grand extra a year. That is a lot. That's in kind I'm, of that's kind of what I make today. Twenty twenty one. It's like <laughs> thirty grand uh, a year, and that'd be like two hundred grand yeah. extra a year. Just pulling that in casually, and he just qu- kind of quietly explains away. It's like yeah, but it's all gambling money. Right. It's, it's all the numbers money. And as you know, we, we've learned Harlem was in that time period was run on gambling money. Like a significant literal majority of the local economy was through numbers games, which should be that sounds unreal. That does sound like Deadwood. Yeah. Times. <laughs> the whole business is mining for gold. And, or like uh, Mafia Vegas yeah, right? kind of thing. It's just numbers running, yeah. running this whole community. And yeah, this way he tries to just explain it away and rationalize it. We've seen a whole, the whole movie is about rationalizing your struggle. Quinn's being pushed out, so he's trying to do last minute cash grab to have as much of a nest egg as possible. Right, he, other pe- he knows he's on his way out. Yeah, and other people are at it from the opposite angle, where they have less than nothing and they need to rob the mob as their only chance to right. get out of it. And that kind of stuff comes through in every one of these characters. But the thing I love that Kodo did the most with the least is he had that big scene with Doc Johnson where he gets offered to replace Quinn. You can be my new guy. You get the money now. You can get this guy out of the picture, get his job. But he's been bartered with the whole movie. He's on the case only because of the optics, because he's black. And in dealing with these confessions from guys that he's saved from fists and rage, they immediately are like, cool, another black guy, and he doesn't play into it. Right. Because he knows that's another thing he can't do in front of these white cops. 
So he has to do the like, no, I'm not your brother. Yeah. We're he wants to get there by not taking any shortcuts. He can. There's a spot in the movie where he could get a guy to confess. Where a guy's saying, I'd much rather talk to you than, than that guy. And he's like, no, you're gonna basically you're gonna talk to me because I'm a good cop, right. not because I'm another black guy. Exactly. Like he's ref- tr- desperately avoiding any shortcut. But I love the quiet ways he does use his inroads. There's this one great shot where the cops are trying to find these heist guys at the same time the mob's trying to find them. They each have different lines that they're following, and they go to question the estranged wife of I think Fargus. Yes. And she doesn't know he's been dead. They haven't seen each other in a couple of months. And Quinn is the one knocking at the door. Even though he's being not uh, over <laughs> boisterous, he's being professional, but he's white. And he's immediately like, no, we're the police. You can tell the woman doesn't trust him. The camera does this great job of showing Quinn, showing the woman, showing Quinn, showing his badge, showing the woman. Like, she's considering it. She right. knows, like, mm, still could be a trap. Well, it's a what, movie that's already had guys posing as cops. Yeah. I mean, she is going through the questions of what's the best case scenario out of this? What's the best thing that happens if right. I let a white cop into my place? But then it does this, Kato does this quick look to her where he just kind of does a, like, and it's okay face. Mm. Like, he's not using it to say, like, ma'am, let us in. But it's this reassuring, comforting, like, I'm vouching for. He him. does so much. He yeah. does so much because everybody else is Just being loud, facial, facial and he is doing a lot of that in the background. And honestly, I didn't really pick up. I've, I watched it uh, the other night, and then I had it on in the background while I was working this morning. And I was picking up on these little things. Like mm-hmm. it's a performance that ages gracefully with more viewing. But that powerhouse scene with Doc Johnson, Quinn, and Kodo—that is just personality. Because now at this point, Chevy's developed a cool personality too. Going around town offering people a hundred bucks. Yeah, hundred bucks get, got them pretty far. They did not put that much money out on the street to get that three hundred grand return. But what a great clash of personality! Just movie defining roles from all of them, all in that one scene. Like I, I saw, the critic reviews were bad. I can't see how this isn't the clip that's playing of Anthony Quinn at the Oscars mm. of him trying to get Doc Johnson to shoot at him him trying to get this guy to make a move so he has an excuse and the moment doc johnson knows he just has to like look the other way not make eye contact right show his hands really exaggeratedly like goes dakota you see where my hands are good you know oh and quinn is so desperate you said he was an animal yeah you know he really is just this desperate animal just, just flies off the handle at the slightest touch. Yeah, this guy yeah. is spiraling. But yeah, when when he really has no more power in that scene, and he just kind of slumps. Yeah, at the end of that, he knows I mean, that just, he knows uh, that is his road. He yeah. knows that's out. And then our last 20, 30 minutes of this movie is a real tough view because all these people are coming to these sad thoughts about their future and their prospects and then the last half hour kind of seems like every single character is looking for their out Mm. and none of them and you get the sense that none of them are going to get a satisfying out nobody's getting out of this it's one of those kind of movies where you just know nobody's coming out of this the better yeah it's almost to one of those movies where Kodo and Queen are almost non-essential to the plot of the heist guys because they totally they this really movie don't get there in time. This movie ever. could have survived 
wholly on uh, without them in it. As yeah. great as they are in it, this could have just been a tight mob trying to get their money back yeah. movie. The movie would have... It, who knows? Maybe it would improve. It would tighten the running time to like 85. No, I like I like both of it. Because the, like I said, I think the big thing that this movie is doing is the juxtaposition of how the criminal element... Uh, will have the racial tensions live under the surface of the of the money and of course and, and the the greater good of that crime enterprise, whereas the the cops the upstanding ones are the ones having it out publicly about this well that's fight and I I mean maybe I'm not sure what that means but another another reason a big reason that I love a movie like this and why it's just such the most appealing era of film for me that 70s no, nothing looks better on a screen. Is while also looking while also as looking dirty horrifying. and terrible as possible. <laughs> the biggest, yeah. the grossest slums ever. <laughs> Just uh, bald fluorescent lights and like peeling green lime green paint everywhere. The guy who, the, the guy who plays every room. Chevy Doc Johnson's yeah. uh, second second man with yes. his red and fuchsia suits. Uh, that guy was the original king of cartoons on Pee Wee. Oh my god! But sure. <laughs> before William Marshall uh, took it over. Okay, but. I was like, man, like I've I know I've seen another movie where this guy is just going to these slums, but I don't recognize him for other black exploitation movies. I had to look it up. He's one of the detectives in Candyman. Sure, why not? <laughs> Who finds Virginia cool. Madsen's horrible murder scene? Yeah, so yeah. So it's like, man, that guy got to knock off Harlem in '72 and Cabrini Green in '92, baby. Beautiful. This guy's doing a U.S. tour. Like, let's see him in Indiana. Yeah, going through some of those old. I was say, yeah, <laughs> like, let's have him in, in Detroit. I want to see. Right? I want to see this man <laughs> in more of the the worst uh, urban blight areas. Yeah, and that made me think of just how so similar Candyman drew on the same themes of that. Like across that interstate line, I could see that. That's yeah. them. This is us. Across Central Park, that is them. This is us. Yeah, this we separate. We do them. get the great. We get the titular line. We do. Yeah. Uh, when the second guy is on his way out of town, and the uh, the cabbie who is obviously connected to the mob, mm-hmm. then gives him the going across 110th Street is the code for I got the guy. Yeah. And I'm crossing uh, into our territory. Yeah. And with uh, the man. I don't know. Yeah, the last the last scene though is for as violent as the movie is, starts with a seven triple <laughs> murder. Uh, then is is nothing but just beatings and uh, violence and mob guys. We hear torturing four different guys. times that Antonio Fargas got his balls cut off. We don't see that, but different. Gu- it gets around town. Yeah. We get a guy getting steam pressed. Yes, at the, steam, at the steam press torture. But even all of that, hung all off of, a, a high rise, all of that violence. The last scene shocked me. How yeah. violent it got! Yeah, uh, we we it's, get it. It it just spirals. It, down. It, and I did not see it coming. I thought that the mob was going to close in and get this guy, mm-hmm. the, our final guy, Harris, with the submachine. How gun. beautiful was the scene? Our, so once Huggy Bear gets knocked off, yeah. how beautiful was the scene with uh, uh, Gilbert Lewis and uh, Paul Benjamin? Where Benjamin's holed up in some basement maniac cop yeah. apartment. He's like a super. He's or, a super of a of a building that should be abandoned. Right, right. And living in you know squalor. poverty, squalor. Yeah. And his partner, the guy that owns the cleaners, and the guy that fell down the stairs and can't fill a suitcase. Yeah. 
He still can't fill a suitcase. He's leaving town with a bag. The guy's like, nope. <laughs> his I'm, name I can't, printed Yeah, on with his in name in big, big letters. letters. He's like, I can't do a suitcase again. Too, too triggering. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. getting out of town. But that scene where he goes shit. and visits him to tell him he's leaving town, if you read that on a page, it would look like nothing. Because it's kind of an awkward interaction. Yeah. The guy's embarrassed about how bad he did at the heist. The movie brings it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy's like, man, I could... The guy's trying to go down memory lane and revisit it. And and Harris, yeah, uh, just has to be like, it's in the past. Yeah. It's over. But But you don't get the... You get the sense... You feel the friendship there. And you feel the... You know, Harris is in the whole time. He's not doing the like, look, it happened. So now we're in it. He's just like, I know. It got way worse than... I'm sorry. I, you know, he gets a apo- the longer this guy's babbling, the more apologetic Harris is. The more that this guy Harris is like giving him release. Yeah. Like it's okay. Just let it go. Cuz the guy's saying, "My legs just went out on me. Once you shot those guys, like I couldn't make it down the stairs even." Right. Like, all that was in the movie, you know. And it's that is one of the best uh naturally lit scenes of the whole movie. Like the natural lighting is great in this oh, movie. Yeah. But yeah, you've got Harris the character Basically, just his face in total darkness around him, and the other guy's got this great kind of hallway. like spotlight. I mean, yeah, it's one. Of, it's just it's like the way scene. the way they were able to light black people in this movie was like uh, yeah. take a lesson. Like, it's incredible. It's, it's uh, the cinematography the framing great. around Paul Benjamin in that scene, yeah, and how you can see his. You can even see his his lip kind of twitching. He's epileptic. Yeah, yeah and, he's got this twitch going. And the, he's holed up, and his medicine's running low, and so his problems are getting worse. His epilepsy's getting worse as the mob and the cops are all closing in. And at first, he doesn't feel like he wants to be in this scene with this guy. He's just like, I know, man. You can just get out of here. I understand. Exactly. Like, yeah, I he's understand like, how it went. stop just, talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. Go to Jersey. Do whatever you need. And then it becomes more of like a pity and like a, hey, I mean... And then the guy kind of gets a little strength through Paul Benjamin's strength hmm. and starts saying, like, you know, we're we're doing it. Like, we're either going to die or we're going to be rich. Like, that's it. That's exactly. The- and that's basically, those are the only ways he, he'd rather be dead than to live poor. The rest, yeah. I mean, that's what They've it comes down it. to. This is why they're doing We're either going to be did. rich or dead, and that's the best it can be. Yeah. Oof. And his his chase, when he when they're closing in on him, and he realizes it's up that desperate scramble that keeps going on. This whole last 20 minutes of the movie is a chase. But, he, but I, oh, man, I love, because, yeah, the mob is coming up the stairs. Oh. The, 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 the Salvio, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. He, the guy that's killed the other two guys so far, sneaking up the stairs while Harris and his lady are having an intimate conversation. And I'm like, they're going to get him. Mm-hmm. It's going to be too late, and the cops are going to be too late. And then, man. That that final explosion. That submachine gun comes back. Oh, DeSalvio's death is, is one of the absolute most satisfying screen Lays deaths. waste to the dudes in the stairwell, which I did not see coming. Yeah. And then he chases the other. They chases him out of the building. Yeah. Oh, oh man. When the mob He's finally closes even... in well before the cops, we get what a great uh, great relationship between Benjamin and his, his squeeze. <laughs> and I love that scene his of her friend. when yeah, he, yeah. he leaves her. He's like, she doesn't agree with this. I'm not going to bog her down. And then he needs her when he's out of medicine. Well, he doesn't want to put her in danger, I think, yeah. too. He knows. Sure. He knows it's, it's not safe counting anymore. down for yeah. him. And he forgets his medicine in, his, in the new abandoned building he's holed up in. And she comes back, and you just get this great five minutes with them. Yeah. And talking about their future, even though you know one or both 
but it's also the very exaggerated like fantasy talk of like we'll get a little cabin and I'll chop wood and uh-huh. build it with be my a own hand. And you're just like, this dude is delusional. He's going through a few different sin- fantasy scenarios really going of there. where they could go. Really going there. It's that you know sweet talk when you know mob guys are gonna bust in your door any minute and yeah. shoot both of you between the eyes. <laughs> Which her her end is so sad because yeah. there's no time for him to mourn her. There's no time for any of this. There's no time. There's no time. He's he's on the run. Yeah, he just basically has that last desperate dash. But and man, DeSalvio's death is great. I didn't. Th- I didn't see. I I didn't think it was gonna happen. Him just machine gunning him through get a it. plate of glass. Yeah. Yeah. That was Give me good. That. that was good. He chases the other guy down in the car. The car tries oh, to ram him. The guy running out of the- Start the car. Start the car. And. I was like, wow, we the car flips on its side, yeah. shooting the car while it's on its side. Thing goes up in flames. We get this like this guy goes 70s full. dude in flames. I was just like, wow. Benjamin goes full like exterminator. I didn't I didn't think it was going to go for some reason I didn't think it was going to get just go so out of control and then yeah, then we get this great rooftop sequence. Oh, what a gorgeous shot. With all the cops in New York City climbing Fire escapes to get to the rooftops. Anybody who loves movies, how could you not love a movie with a shot like this? this rooftop feels, ending. The rooftop how ending cool is that? on the roofs of like five different buildings Just, all at the same time. Uh, people climbing up on different levels of different buildings that you can all. The framing on these scenes is incredible. Yeah. The locations of the scenes were incredible. All these different cops approaching from different directions. The Harlem mob still approaching while not yeah. trying to be seen by the cops. All these people trying to converge on on Harris. And the shots are incredible. If something like this was in a Scorsese movie, it would be a shot. It would be talked about as one of his best shots. Totally. Because it's in sequence. this movie, that whole sequence of, of him's desperate escape, every bit of it. Yeah. It should be in film school. Well, and then it just so perfectly, without having to say a word of dialogue, uh, you know, Anthony Quinn kind of knocks Kodo out of the way and saves his life at one point. Kodo gives Quinn the heads up and saves his life at one point. Mm-hmm. By sh- finally, he shoots Harris. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, we get this final, just like art house oh, loved the ending. shot at the end. Uh, love the ending of, of Chevy putting... Quinn like a, officially out of business. Like a sniper bullet or something. Yeah, like a silencer on it. Crazy. Because they were still trying to not make their presence known to the cops. Yeah. Sneaks in that little temple shot after, right yeah, next after, to after him. After everything then, after every, after they've saved each other's life, and it's like peace has been made between the, the two races, <laughs> then, yeah, Quinn gets a bullet to the head and has the kind of final, like, Greek... <laughs> like statue of the guy falling in the other guy's arms. I liked the final, final shot, shot quite a bit, but it's that wow. great kind of the wrestler ending of a guy who had choices to get out better and kept making the choice that he knew would end worse. Quinn wanted out. You could see the way he heroed himself into yeah that, and then his age, you know, drops his gun. You know, all the stuff that this movie does without words. Yeah, you know, film go uh, him going in hot shot. And tripping, literally just a simple trip on a ladder step, would have offed him completely. And that's when Kodo has to step in. So he wanted a way out. He wanted to be. And so when it's all, the the dust is settled, and he's rethinking things differently, then he doesn't even have time. Doesn't even hear it. Doesn't even know what happened. 
Thought it was all over. Wasn't expecting. It was a tough ending. Nobody comes out of this glowing. Again, they just they don't do it like this anymore. A movie like this could not be made today for myriad reasons. <laughs> One of the ones that I would hate the most, if, a mo- if this kind of thing was proposed today, the entire focus would be on how difficult it is for police to do their jobs, <laughs> how tough it is being a cop, how brave the cops are for going into Harlem, how dangerous it was for them. Just impossible in every way to make this movie because you couldn't have the specific politics mm-hmm. that this movie has. You couldn't. It would not be allowed. The 70s was when you could, when studios would finance a director a million dollars to make a movie. No, we don't need to be involved. It's not enough for us to care. Make this movie. Everything is micromanaged now. Or, or just like the studio knew like, you know, the the people making these things have this new point of view, mm-hmm. or what, or I don't know how how to say it, but they just trusted filmmakers to show their point of view on film. Yes, and you could call a, you know, you could make it clear that a cop is a scumbag. Yeah, <laughs> and but... it's not an issue, and and no one's gonna cancel it, and there's no, you know, it's just gonna be like. This is a vision of this. You can also watch Starsky and Hutch if you want. That's also available to that you. That is also here. You know, you, you know, I don't... All these people have such specific... Uh, nobody is glorified in this movie, but really only maybe the Italian mob is villainized. The other people do bad things, but nobody... None of them are actively bad people. Now, I don't think the Quinn character could exist as anything but an actual bad cop. Right. Or they would have to go out of their way to give him some sort of sympathetic. Right. It would either go too sympathetic or, or too villain. Yeah. It would not be able to rest where he is, where he is not really a bad guy. He has flawed beliefs and uses some inappropriate uh, <laughs> uh, language a bit and has bad methods and look clearly he's looks. He's outdated, though. They, they make is, it very clear. He, yeah. You know, he's, he's a guy from a different era. This is not a like, he's a guy. <laughs> this is an important distinction, I think. In some movies, there's a character who beats up, you know, the guys getting questioned, and another guy goes, his methods are wild, but they get results. In this movie, Quinn's the one beating up guys while also saying, it gets results. Like, he's trying to convince, like, it's still cool. That's a great scene. Yeah, he just knocks the dude out and Mm -hmm. says, I get results, and... Kodo just points to the guy. It's like, I don't hear him saying a word right now. <laughs> yeah. You're, guy's just lying motionless He's, he's not on saying the floor. anything. Yeah. You're not getting anything out of him. Yeah. But it's it's something so I that... Think it, 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 sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Now it would be him as the like, well, yeah, but his two sons have autism. So... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It would, it would <laughs> like be like flashbacks off to World War Two where he yeah. saves a You would really give... Child or something. Give... Yeah. The whole focus of the movie would be this guy's struggle. Like, how this guy is flawed, but he's still one of the good ones. Right. Now you can tell he wants good results. He does take money from the mob, but (laughs) he's not, like, selling out his his fellow man. He is getting results. He's just prioritizing the people that the mob wants dealt with. Yeah. They're still guys that the force would have been seeking. So it's Shades of Grey done actually compellingly and not lazily. And everybody in this, other than Kodo, is in that shade. Right. Well, we all got a tough, man. You know, we, we're all <laughs> trying our best. You know, it's a it's a scary world out there. And, and in the 70s, they really were able to capture this sense of, like, 
Dude, I'd it's, rather it's hard. I'd rather go to like Sarajevo than <laughs> than 1972 Harlem. It looked like the scariest area, man. Oh my gosh! Like, well, well, I could, when when crime is your only option, I could go right? to San Salvador. Probably that. Yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. yeah crime is you. a lot of these people's only option, and the movie makes that clear without turning to anybody as the hero or the villain or oversimplifying or, yeah, it. Yeah. It, finds these complicated tones with so many characters, I think it's a much more special movie than it's given credit for. We originally watched it because we wanted to see Kodo in a mm-hmm. leading man role. I was not expecting a movie with eight or nine leading men roles. <laughs> you know? Totally. I, my memory of... Uh, so much new stuff pops out at me with this movie. It's that richly layered and all grimy. Every one of the layers is grimy. Yeah. Grimier than the last. It's great. It's it's out there. You saw it on. Uh, I rented some... it. I rented it on the Prime. I, okay. I I couldn't find it on the Pluto TV. Okay. I can't for the life of me figure out where the search function is on. Well, Pluto, there's there's so. 1,900 different streaming um, apps now. So yeah, it's I, on I, one of them. I, I spent the three bucks or whatever good, to rent good. it. Good Looked at it. It's it's a uh, it's great. It's man. a powerful movie. If you like 70s movies, crime movies. Stuff like the French Connection. You it works have to on see whatever movie. kind of level you want to watch it for. If you yeah. want to watch for the deep and touching message and well done, well laid out message, it's there. If you want a heist flick, just watch it if as a heist flick. You want to see flick. a guy with a submachine gun go crazy. Yeah, just take a Smith and Wesson of people, watch it. If you want to see Burt Young just flipping through money if for five minutes. You have never seen Burt Young <laughs> count paper faster than this. Those fingers are so nimble. I couldn't believe it. I was like, so I am quick. so in guy is just finger walking his way through a stack after stack that then uh total pro then the other guy takes no care with the stacks (laughs) tossing stacks no if you just want to see a movie with a bunch of cool dudes yeah just want to i just want to see some dudes i like doing stuff i like you can have that on in the back movie works on all these layers and it succeeds at all of them very special movie i'm sad we lost kodo i'm glad it's bumping these kind of movies up our list yeah i'm i'm definitely using this as an opportunity to uh yeah go look at some of the movies because again he's one of those guys kodo where you know him from alien yeah you know him from the bond movie and you know two or three other running man again is and and those were the three movies that everybody had their headline star of dies at 81 and those were kind of the only like there was like four or five movies, and then Homicide that he got talked about, uh-huh. and yeah, now now you know going through this list, it's like, man, no one's talking about this movie, and it's awesome. There's a whole '70s leading man era of this of Kodo that wasn't talked about on any Nobody of the headlines yeah. of his this this his leading man career. He's known as a sideman in these big movies, but his leading man career has some of his greatest stuff. But his whole career is great stuff yeah he's awesome but yeah this we're gonna be going through some 70s stuff with him throughout the next uh, all about it it's a good excuse all about it but yeah came to this it go did. check out across 110th street listen to the song oh, get you man. in the mood i'm gonna go put it on right now do it <laughs> i'm eric i'm charlie good night Trying to catch a trick on the street. Do that trick.